welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the 22nd episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial and financial planning. So good morning, Matt. Good morning, Mark. Ready for Turkey Day, my friend? I am. I am getting ready to go back to Rochester for, uh, for the week and uh, looking forward to watching our Dayton Flyers take on the Virginia Tech Hokies uh, tonight in the yep. Maui Invitational. I can't wait. They, uh, Virginia Tech beat uh, Michigan, Michigan State, State last night, and Dayton had a very uh, good performance against Georgia. So I am excited for yeah, tonight. Yeah, me too. Hopefully, uh, either I might have to make my brother drive tonight on the way back to Rochester when we're in the car, so I can pull the game up on my phone. But stream it. <laughs> Um, so as always, just want to take the first few minutes to recap the performance for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track. And these numbers are as of the market close on November 25th. And as always, the data is from stockcharts.com. Uh, the S&P 500 index is up 3.16 for the month and up 25% for the year. The Dow is up 4.07% for the month and 23% for the year. The NASDAQ up 4.1% for the month and 30.1% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 is up 3.94% for the month and up 21.85% for the year. The International Index X United States is up 1.28% for the month and up 15.61% for the year. The three-month uh, T-bill currently yielding 1.61%, the two-year Treasury 1.61% also, and the 10-year Treasury uh, sitting at 1.76%. So really strong month um, for November so far, Matt, as all the major indexes are up quite healthy uh, for the month and for the year. Um, the Treasury yields uh, flattening a little bit on the yield curve from what we've seen uh, in the previous <clears throat> couple of weeks. So do you have yeah. any comments on that? First thing is uh, the performance difference between international and domestic, right? We've seen this trend throughout the year. So you're continuing to see um, U.S.-based uh, stock indices do a lot better than international. And I think that's a, that's a trend that's been in vogue uh, for some time. And I think it just goes to the backbone of the strength of the U.S. consumer mark. You know, it's just the first thing that pops into my mind as you're reading this, just reaffirming how strong the U.S. consumer is, at least right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. And then um, small caps over the past couple of weeks have began to catch up or close the gap between the larger indexes. And um, we did get a, a daily breakout on um, the IWM ETF, the trucks, tracks the Russell 2000, um, <clears throat> which is generally a good sign when we see a confirming breakout from um, small caps when, uh, you know, the large cap uh, indices break out as well. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, from my perspective, I think it's a lot of people, Mark, uh, 
who maybe are underperforming this year. They're trying to catch up. So they're, you know, going down, you know, the risk curve a little bit from large to smaller size companies. And they're trying to, you know, chase Juice performance yeah. at the end of the year. Yeah. It's quite yeah. A, it just kind of feels that way to me. Yeah. No, I agree with that. But I, I agree. I mean, it's very positive seeing the small cap uh, break out of that trading range you and I've been tracking. Yeah. 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 Um, some news and headlines from the week. Um, one that caught my eye was, um, the Hong Kong elections, uh, er earlier this week. So there was a record number of voters that turned out in Hong Kong for their elections and voters got rid of a bunch of establishment and pro China candidates. Um, so Hong Kong obviously wants to remain autonomous from China rule, um, and it was kind of a shock to me, actually, that the elections happened without any unrest, which is positive, And that's something we haven't seen in Hong Kong for quite some time. No, no. Um, and I just wanted to mention this because, <clears throat> you know, the unrest in Hong Kong lately, I think, has had an effect on trade negotiations. Absolutely. Um, so the other thing that caught my eye, Matt, was that Uber um, lost its license to operate in London. Um, in London, Big market for them. Yeah, yeah, one of their biggest markets. And London cited safety concerns for their reasoning of this. Um, and Uber, Uber obviously is ap appealing this decision and is going to continue to operate until the appeal is heard. Um, but I guess it's been an issue where unauthorized drivers have been able to use the Uber platform to pick up customers um, which I still don't get, but yeah. it's going to be interesting to see um, if this begins to ripple through to other areas of the world and even in the U.S., um, you know, and if this does become a bigger issue, then that could dramatically change the way that, you know, modern transportation is working right now. Yeah, no, it's an interesting point. I mean, I'd be curious how this all kind of plays out. You know, you had the, the bigger issues, you know, here in the U.S. the past decade where, you know, a lot of these medallion um, certifications in New York. I mean, these people would spend upwards of a million dollars at one point for these medallions to have a taxi license, right? In New York. And then Uber comes along, right? And I don't know. I don't, I don't have a solution that's going to be easy on, on, on either side of that. Yeah. 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 So it'll be interesting. We'll follow along and keep everyone updated uh, with that. But um, that's all I kind of had for current current events or major headlines for the week since we just had a podcast last Thursday and it's now uh, Tuesday the 26th. So we'll move on to articles, tweets, and research uh, from this week we found interesting. So if you want to kick it off, Matt. I will dive in. Uh, first is from uh, Bespoke Investment Research Mark from November 23rd, 528 p.m. The uh, article, uh, the research piece, Mark, was in regards to not all stocks are at 52-week highs. So for a lot of listeners, you know, I think it would be natural to see the market uh, at or near a 52-week high, Mark, and just assume, well, most of the stocks have to be there as well. Right. Not true. Mm -hmm. So the S&P is a market cap weighted index. So listeners, what that means is, Larger size companies by their market cap, the Apples, the Amazons, the Microsofts of the world, delineate more of the return than, say, the smallest five uh, of the S&P. 
Right. Does that make sense, Mark? Yep. And again, and then the market cap is derived by uh, taking the share price divided by the outstanding, or excuse me, times the outstanding shares for people just to understand what market cap is. There you go. So this is the quote from Bespoke. While valuations in the tech sector are getting extended, that's because tech stocks have been performing so well, one sector whose stocks haven't been performing well is energy, where the average stock is 42% below its 52-week high. You certainly wouldn't be, quote, buying high, end quote, by entering this space. So that's the note from Bespoke. And I'm just, um, I'll throw out a couple of their um, stocks on average how much they're off their 52-week high by sector. I'll name a couple. So we talked about energy being down 42% from its 52-week high on average for the sector. Um, Communication services, 22% off. Uh, Consumer discretionary, 19% on average. Uh, Healthcare, 19%. So I think I don't want listeners to assimilate stocks are at 52-week highs. Not every stock is there. Right, exactly, yeah. And I, I don't know... I'm trying to the other thing I was trying to get by this to I was trying to see if bespoke was almost like, hey, if you want to be buying, you know, I don't know, like deep value, then you should look at like the energy space or something like that. But, you know, energy is 42 percent off its 52 week high for a reason. Right. That's <laughs> right. Getting, I mean, it can get cheaper getting crushed. Yeah. But I think one of the, the big ones that I was surprised by seeing is consumer discretionary that it's almost 19% on average off the 52 week high. And we've seen kind of this sector rotation over the past couple of weeks, I think from consumer discretionary into like industrials and financials. And I think it's important to note that to sustain a bull market, I think that we need sector rotation into different sectors. You know, yeah. you can't have one sector outperforming the yeah. whole way. Yeah. So I think that's healthy for for the bull market and gives more weight or another data point too that you know this bull market can continue and still does potentially have legs. I'm with you. Yeah, I got uh, two more, and we'll and we'll post that chart on um, our show notes uh, later today, so you guys will be able to see um, the the chart that Matt was highlighting in that note. Thank you. Yep. Uh, Also in that note from Bespoke, that same one, um, this is the quote I want to share. If the stock market seems quiet these days, it's because we haven't experienced a significant down day in quite some time. As shown below, it has now been 33 trading days since we've seen just a half a percent gap down at the open of trading for the S&P 500. So again, it's just highlighting that you know, uh, volatility in the markets has come down um, as money are chasing these stocks higher. Any comment? Yeah, no, it just gives more weight to that. You know, we're going to have times in the market like now and like in, um, you know, 2017, where volatility was extremely low. And then we're going to have times and spikes in volatility, like in Q4 of 2018, where it's extremely high. So, you know, this is just an example of how normal it is to go through cycles of high volatility and low volatility. So when we do go through those high volatility environments that, you know, not to completely freak out and think that this is the new normal for the long term. Not only that, Mark, I think that's an excellent point. We go back to what we said a couple podcasts ago, which is also corrections are normal, right? And so what happens in these low uh, volatility environments is the market could correct say two, three, four percent, and it feels like seven, eight, nine percent. Yeah. Right? Just mm-hmm. because of the environment. 
So that's when all of a sudden we start getting the CNBC alerts on our phone that the market has plunged 0.8%. Right. You know, and it's like, right. give me a break. Well, yeah, and a lot of people have been calling for a pullback, um, you know, from the, the breakout to new highs uh, in the major indexes, and we really haven't gotten one yet. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to me, it's like the more people that are saying, oh, a pullback is imminent, a pullback is imminent, I'm always kind of looking the other way and saying, if a lot of people are saying this, then You're I think it's probably it? going to be the contrary. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Climb that wall of worry like I talked about in previous podcast. Yeah. Got one more from Braver Capital Management, a research note, November 20th, Mark, 4.56 p.m. Uh, they commented on housing similar to what we talked about last week. So this is their quote. It's tough to think we're headed into a recession when homes are still selling and low inventory incentivizes builders to start framing new units. More building means more jobs, more sales of new appliances and furnishings, and more business for financiers and more or higher paychecks for everyone involved. A virtuous cycle, end quote. Makes sense to me. We talked about it. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty simple and self-explanatory there. So, you know, I expect that trend to continue until, you know, those numbers that they mentioned in that in that quote start to to fall or reverse yeah i mean heck mark wait till we get to the seasonally strong period of spring right. next yeah year. exactly yeah <clears throat> crazy yep um i had uh one interesting article that i found that was interesting and it was a blog post by ben carlson on his blog a wealth of common sense and this was on november 17th and Ben had a reader ask him, um, what would you have advised me to do in 2009? Um, and this kind of has to do with investors sitting in cash and deciding when they should enter the market. Um, so we'll also link to this article in our show notes that people can go and read this article or this blog post if they want. Um, so Ben says, a reader asks, what would you have advised me to do in 2009? I wanted to put X amount of money in this total stock market and ride the index. I had been waiting for a blood in the streets event and I was licking my lips. As you know, it never fell back and I never got invested. So I think this is a common problem that we've seen too, Matt, is that, you know, people are so, um, you know, were so impacted by what happened in 2009 where they never got back invested in the markets because they thought again that it was going to be a new normal that you would see you know bear markets like that going forward we still meet people mark that yep. are in this situation right yep and it could be from you know they got bit once and they don't want to get bit again they're uh, too close to retirement and don't want to experience another 0708. It could be because of their um, political beliefs. They just don't feel comfortable with, say, the current administration. I mean, we see a lot of these individuals, and you know, those are tough conversations to have. Yeah, and I and I totally get it, right? I mean, yeah. people that that you know lost fifty percent of their portfolio value in two thousand and nine. I get why they would be scarred from entering the stock market again. Yeah. Um. So I think it comes down to. You know, we've talked about it before a little bit, but behavioral finance, so to say, and the emotions that drive people what making their decisions. And I think um, one thing we have in the pipeline for for listeners is having someone on the podcast to help talk and discuss about, you know, what's driving those behavioral decisions amount or around money and investing for people. No, that's going to be great. Yeah, we definitely have that in the pipeline. And when that comes, it's going to be a huge podcast episode yeah. for us. Yeah. 
Um, so Ben goes on to say, I remember a number of prognosticators and investors laying out potential buying opportunities at S&P 600, 500, and 400, and even 300. And this was back in 2009. And he says, unfortunately, for long-term investors, those entry points never came. Um, so again, just reiterating that it doesn't do much good to listen to others for calling the exact bottom. Um, you know, it's just about getting in the market and, you know, being in the market and being there when it does turn, right? Yeah, I mean, I vividly remember uh, end of March of '09 um, when the market bottomed. And then, you know, April came along and it was just an absolute rip your face rally. And even in that rally in April, you still had a couple pretty uh, rough down days. And so what happened at that point is anybody who, quote unquote, called the 0708 crisis, they were slapping those people on TV saying, you see, look at today. It's down two and a half percent. This is just a dead cat bounce. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so, again, you got to sift through that. Because the investor psyche, again, you know, you, you're trying to protect that money at that point. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's sometimes not the best decision. Totally agree with that. Um, and then uh, Ben goes on and he has uh, a couple of points he makes um, that he would tell people who are sitting on a pile of cash um, while, you know, while you're looking at, at the stock market and when to invest. Uh, his first one is don't try to call the bottom. Whenever you're putting money into the markets, uh, go into it with the attitude that your timing will never be perfect. And I think that's pretty self-explanatory. I don't think there's anyone out there that would be able to call the exact bottom. You know, in yep. 2009, we had people call bottoms and the market still had another 30, 40 percent to go. Yep. Um, so that doesn't do anyone ever good, I guess. Um, number two, have enough liquid reserves available, but avoid an addiction to cash. Um, so he says, cash can quickly go from a security blanket to an addiction when stocks are falling. Just a little longer, you tell yourself, every time stocks are in a drawdown. I'll buy when the dust settles. Feels like a comfortable place to be until you realize by the time the dust settles, it's probably too late. Um, and we've talked about we've this. We've talked about this. The minute it feels comfortable, right? Right. The move's already been made. You know, you, yeah, you wait for that, that pullback and then you never get in. And we've talked about that before. Um, so he says, I've received more emails than I can count like this one from investors who've been stuck in cash since 2009. And I completely understand how it could happen because you become paralyzed. Number three is to diversify across investments in time, which is pretty straightforward. And um, number four is have a plan B. Um, so whether you decide to average in or try to uh, your luck at buying in at lower levels, you need to have a plan B because odds are the markets won't line up perfectly with the timing of your decisions. Yep. And we know that to be true all the time, Matt. You That's know, right. When we're putting money to work, nothing ends up working out perfectly or buying that stock exactly where we wanted to buy it. But, um, you know, that's that's how it works. That's right. No, it was a great article. Yeah. So I thought that was that was a good one from Ben. Um so moving on to the financial planning topic of the week. This um, is going to be a good one, Mark. Yeah, this one comes at a timely uh, timely point as open enrollment uh, for most people should still be open or just about getting ready to close. Um, 
And it comes from an article in the Wall Street Journal on November 14th titled How to Use the HSA for Medical or Retirement Savings. And this is by Julia Carpenter. Um, And I think this is a topic that gets glazed over a lot, especially when it comes to talking about benefits with your employer during open enrollment. Yep. Um, And this is a really powerful option for people to help fund their medical expenses in the future. Um, So just wanted to touch on this article briefly. And again, we will link to this um, in the show notes. However, I believe this is an article where you need to have a Wall Street Journal subscription um, to subscribe. But I think they're running a deal now that it's like subscribe for one dollar over the next three months or something like that. If people really want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the first point uh, this article makes, um, just reading from the article, um, HSAs are unique in the triple tax advantage they offer. If you opt for a high deductible health plan, you can contribute to an HSA by setting aside pre-tax earnings without paying federal or state income tax. From there, that money can be invested and grows tax-free. Additionally, if used for medical expenses, this money can be withdrawn tax-free before retirement, which can't be done with a 401k or an individual retirement account. So this is huge tax savings here, Matt. You're almost doing a disservice to yourself if you're eligible for an HSA and you aren't utilizing this benefit because this is a triple tax whammy of savings for everybody. No, it's huge. I'm huge. And I don't want to talk about any more points until you go through it because- Mm -hmm. The way my mind works, I'm going to throw out like three things that you're about to talk about, probably. Right, right. So I'm going okay. to hold off. Yeah. Um, so moving on, uh, advisors are now asking the question, where do you put the money, 401k or HSA? Said Steve Christensen, executive vice president at uh, Asenis, a retirement college saving service provider. To make the most of both, research if your employer offers matches, he says. If your employer also offers an HSA match, uh, he recommends prioritizing that contribution as you'll eventually be able to reap greater benefits from the HSA's triple tax advantages. From there, contribute to your 401k, and if your employer also offers a match there and you're taking advantage of it, you'll be benefiting from both savings plans. So, the question I want to ask you is, do you agree with that? Uh, no. Okay. Tell me, <laughs> tell me why. Tell me why. Yeah, so from my perspective, I think you got to prioritize the 401k. I mean, just from the perspective of a lot more investment choices, <laughs> you know, a lot of these plans are just now starting to allow you to invest the HSA. Right. But right. that's not prevalent yet. And so, you know, the, my initial gut is, you know, the compounding effect of that wealth in the 401k, whereas if it's just sitting in cash at the bank, that's the first whammy for me, right? Um, so it also comes to mind, Mark, when I when I get in front of a client who has college age kids, and the question always comes up is, you know, do I stop my 401k savings and try to minimize my child's student loan debt, or do I just have them take the loans? And for me, there's even no conversation. 401k is the priority. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've seen too many parents make the mistake of prioritizing their kids' college expenses. Kid graduates with no debt. And next thing you know, the client's still working in their seventies. Yeah. So just going back to it, I think you got to prioritize that 401k 
and that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you with that. Um, I do understand certain situations where maybe people would want to um, max out their HSAs if they have three, four, five young kids and have sure. a bunch of doctor's visits. And, sure. you know, that's but that's getting into the nitty gritty of individual situations. I think that absolutely I don't think you should sacrifice 401k or IRA contributions for anything like you just said. I just don't think it's worth it. Yep. We're on the same page then. Um, so moving on, uh, the HSA contribution limits for 2020 are $3,550 for an individual with a high deductible health plan and $7,100 for an individual with family coverage. Uh, the catch-up contribution for those 55 years or older um, is an additional $1,000, and the amount contributed to an HSA doesn't affect the contribution limits for 401k plans or IRAs, which are $19,500 and $6,000, respectively, for 2020. Um, so just a point to note here, the catch-up contribution is slightly different for HSAs than it is for 401ks and IRAs because um, 401ks and IRAs, the age catch-up is age 50 where you get to contribute that extra amount of money, but for HSAs, it's 55. So Bingo. I just wanted to point that out there. Bingo. Go I got ahead. one thing to yeah. just throw out there yeah, for yeah, listeners. So um, we've had listeners in the past who've uh, participated in uh, flexible spending accounts. Mm -hmm. And you know, again, Mark's talking about a health savings account. So with a lot of flex savings accounts, it turns out to be if you don't use it, you lose it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And even some employers allow the rollover of a little bit to the next year. Yeah. With these HSAs, that can sit in that account for the rest of your life and you can use it as you need it. Yeah. And that's a big differentiation because I think a lot of misconceptions that I run across, Mark, is, well, why would I put money in there? Because if I don't use it all, man, I'm going to lose it. Right. And you're like, well... That's a flex, flex spending, spending account, not a health oh, savings. Yeah. So I'm going to throw that out there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, the article goes on to say one approach to the HSA is to consider paying for current medical expenses out of pocket after establishing the HSA. You can then file for reimbursement in retirement. This way, you can supplement your retirement income entirely tax-free. Do you think that's viable? Yeah, I yeah. like that idea. Okay. Um, and one other important point to note here, Matt, is that, um, you can't keep contributing to your HSA once you're enrolled in Medicare. Say it so one more time. You cannot keep contributing to your HSA once you're enrolled in Medicare. Okay. So maximizing contributions now will allow the miracle of compounding to work, growing that money in your HSA over time. So once you're 65 and you're enrolled in Medicare, you can no longer contribute to your HSA. So people need to be taking advantage of it now. Yep. And then you got that catch up. If you're over 55, the extra thousand you could put in mm -hmm. as well. You know, what I see a lot of times is as people are in their highest income earning years, which is typically near the end of their working life, you know, these types of things need to be their priorities. Right. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. Um, do you have any other points you wanted to add about HSAs? Last thing I want to point out there is I made the comment more and more HSAs are uh, have the eligibility through your employer to be invested, not just sitting in cash. And, you know, a lot of 401ks these days, they have default funds, Mark, where you have a little bit of market exposure if you're not making an election. Mm -hmm. I think on these HSAs, the default is still cash on most. 
-hmm. So the uh, participant, the employee, would physically have to be the one to make that change if he or she had a desire to invest any of that money. Yeah, yeah. So now is just a, it's a good time of the year to check with your employer and see if this is available to you, and especially if you're able to invest the HSAs. Um, definitely a good good time during open enrollment to check these things out and make sure that you are taking advantage of this benefit if it is offered to you. Yeah, and for our clients that are listening, we do offer a service uh, where we can assist in the investment selection for those outside accounts. We have a process and a policy and procedure in place. So if you uh, want to take advantage of that, please reach out to uh, Mark or myself. Yeah. Um, no questions this week, Matt. Um, so before we kind of wrap up here, is there anything else, um, that was on your mind from the week that you wanted to get out before, uh, Turkey Day? No, I'll be interested to kind of look and see how Black Friday goes, Cyber Monday coming up. Mm -hmm. Uh, looking forward to deep frying my turkey, uh, on, uh, Thursday afternoon. Can't yep. wait. Yep. And uh, I hope you travel safe, my friend. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to the 22nd episode of the Independent Advisors podcast. Um, we hope everyone has a happy Thanksgiving with their friends and family. And we will be uh, back with you all next week. Next Thursday. Have a good Thanksgiving, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of The Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.